loves, and welcome back to Your Hero's Quest, where we discuss all things hero's journey, self-development, and spirituality. Um, last week, we covered the uh, phase of the journey of the belly of the whale, where the hero crosses that first threshold into the unknown and must face his or her own shadows. And uh, the, the phase following that is the road of trials where the hero encounters all sorts of obstacles and challenges, preparing them for their ultimate showdown. And following that is the topic I wanted to explore today, which is the meeting with the goddess. We are in the midst of cancer season. Cancer is the queen of the zodiac, deeply um, feminine, ruled by the moon, which is deeply feminine. We just had a full moon. So it is also the month of Mary Magdalene's feast. She has um, been announced as a saint, so St. Mary Magdalene's Feast. And she, of course, was the apostle of all apostles, apostle to the apostles of Jesus Christ. She was, this might be a bit um, controversial, but she was uh, Jesus's wife. She was the divine feminine, married with the divine masculine. And she is also deeply linked to the lineage of the the lineage of the rose and the sacred mysteries of the rose so which is also very deeply linked to the divine feminine principle so anyway the theme of the goddess the divine feminine the woman all of that so my man joseph campbell says that woman in the picture language of mythology represents the totality of what can be known so woman is like the mother principle is the creation principle is the goddess is the earth is the cosmos is this sacredness uh this link to the divine and all that can be known and i mean when you think about it woman is uh the bridge between the divine and the material world we are the ones that bring forth life into the world the soul or spirit comes through us and begets a human form and is birthed into this uh, reality that we're in. So, of course, uh, the divine masculine is, is also extremely important and the divine feminine cannot be without the divine masculine, but the feminine has this really deeply important place and of course, it's been lost over the ages, which we will totally touch upon, but it, I think it is deeply coming back um, in, this present, in this present age. Um, but of course, the church, uh, you know, decimated paganism, which was the worship of goddesses and gods, and deemed it, um, you know, only appropriate to worship one god, who was a male, Mother Mary, um, was the feminine that people could still worship. And she is actually known as like the rose without thorns. So she's linked to the rose lineage as well. But <clears throat> so that you could worship Mother Mary safely if you wanted that feminine goddess energy. But of course, in ancient times, all of the stories are, are of goddesses and gods and they were equals. You know, they faced each other. They were married. They uh birthed other gods and goddesses and this is how so many creation myths uh or how things came about you know the goddess of love is aphrodite um the or venus the goddess of 
spring is Flora, and she was the one who named the rose. And the goddess um, in Egypt, the goddess Nut, N-U-T, is the goddess of the heavens. She is like this overarching creator force, and she would uh, swallow the sun in the west, it would go through her in the night, and then she would give birth to it in the east every day. So this, this whole, you know, idea of the divine feminine, of the goddess, has really been swept away in a, in a sense and, and hidden, but is always there. And we can find her in all of these myths, and I find her deeply, we'll explore, in the Grail Quest, in um, medieval literature, and of course, uh, she is a code and a metaphor, a symbol as well, of the totality of what can be known, of this spiritual awakening, this meeting with the goddess that the hero undergoes, basically raises him to the status of hero. Without this meeting, he cannot fulfill his quest. And if it is a heroine on the journey, the meeting with the goddess is the meeting with the goddess within herself, where she realizes she is the goddess, right? So men, take a look at your ladies in your life, your goddess that raises you up to be the hero of your life. And ladies, look in the mirror because you are that goddess that you continually get to meet every day to fulfill your quest. Some modern examples of this, and of course I always touch on Lord of the Rings, but Frodo is embarking on um, a very perilous part of his mission. He's really headed towards Mordor. He's, he's getting closer. And he and Sam, Aragorn, Gimli, Legolas, the whole fellowship goes to Lothlorien where they meet Galadriel. And she is the ultimate elven queen goddess. Uh, so sorry for the helicopter noise going up up ahead. <laughs> but she is the ultimate elven queen. She she glows this light and she is this light. She has the knowledge and wisdom of the ages. She is that feminine force. And the gift that she gives to Frodo is a vial of light. So this is physical, of course, because he uses this vial in um, the cave with the spider when he can't see anything and she says, may this be a light to you in dark places when all other lights go out. And the symbolism of this, of course, as well, is that spiritual light, is that, is that divine light, that trust, that knowing you are guided, you are, you are divine. And um, this is the goddess's gift to Frodo and it raises him to this next level of hero status. Aragorn also has this with Arwen, who becomes his bride, and she raises him to his status as king. He is he he doesn't become king without his wedding to her, this other elven goddess queen, who has also given him an even star um, necklace, which is also this light. So obviously, again, physical things, but also deeply symbolic. I also look at Princess Leia as the goddess of Star Wars. Of course, she's total badass and uh, can fend for herself and she's witty and funny and sassy. 
but she raises Han to his hero status and Luke, of course. But before Han meets her, he's sort of this like, what does she call him? Like, you know, he's this, he doesn't care. He's just out for himself and money. And, but when he, he meets, he has this meeting with, with Leia, the goddess, he realizes his, his true self, that he is better than that, that he does care, that, um, you know, he starts to live much more from his heart and he does commit to helping the rebellion and the cause and, um, and the return of light to the galaxy. And, you know, this whole idea <clears throat> of meeting with the goddess is also kind of like in the belly of the whale when you must sort of die to yourself and be reborn. Joseph Campbell talks about the virgin birth as that, as dying to your animal nature and being reborn of the heart of this spiritual self. And like the savior, Jesus, who dies and is resurrected and he is um, in the tomb for three days and nights, the moon constantly, you know, the moon, this feminine principle constantly dies and, re and is reborn. It's constantly transforming and it is dark for three days and just all of these things are all connected and in such a perfect order and that's why these myths all myths and all these things in them are these metaphors for greater things at play as above so below and of course we all have feminine and masculine within us um, and we are always uh, trying to blend those principles to be our ultimate selves you know to achieve a goal you have to have the uh, feminine creativity, trust, vision, um, surrendering, uh, receiving, but you also must have the masculine action and list setting and going after what you're, you know, this fire, this passion to go for what you're wanting to do and put action forth. Um, so the two are, of course, needed, and that is also in a sacred union which again is seen um, in Jesus and Mary Magdalene, is this, this super, this divine union of the sacred masculine and feminine, which has so much power. And that's seen in the latest Matrix movie. Um, the, the creator of the Matrix seeks to keep Neo and Trinity apart because they have, they're the sacred union that just like, causes this explosion and has so much power, so much power. So that's another thing that I think has sort of escaped from modern times is that sacred union. And um, Joseph Campbell also points out that this is seen in the yin and the yang. There is in the dark part of, of the symbol, a, a white circle and in the light part of the circle, the light part of the symbol, a dark circle, one cannot know the other without experiencing it. So we must be able to experience both principles to know the totality of it. This idea that you cannot relate to something uh, that you don't know at all. <clears throat> so I think this also ties into that idea of meeting with the goddess that we must all have this meeting with this divine spirituality um, to truly integrate and know it on our journeys. There's a fun story that um, illuminates this in the 
poem of the wedding of Sir Gawain and Dame Ragnell. And this is also um, written in Geoffrey Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. This is the wife of Bath's tale that she tells. It's a little bit different, but mostly the same. Basically, Sir Gawain is out with King Arthur in the woods and encounters this person who asks um, him to return within a year with the answer to this question, what is the one thing that women want most? So he's like, all right, let's go around and ask, you know, and they ask, they, they journey around for a year asking all sorts of women with their answer, but they just aren't satisfied with the answer. And they come upon this old hag and uh, she says, I can give you the answer to this question, but um, you have to marry me for it to Sir Gawain. And he agrees because he'll do anything for Arthur. And the answer is uh, that the only the one thing women want is their sovereignty. So they have this, uh, she comes to the castle and they have this wedding and um, she asks him to kiss her and he does. And she says, she transforms into this gorgeous maiden. And he says, oh my gosh, you know, like, what? what's going on here? And she tells him that she can either, he has a choice. She can be beautiful by day and ugly by night for the rest of time, or she can be really gorgeous in the night, but hideous by day for the rest of time. And he's like, how can I choose, right? So he concludes that he's going to give her the option. And he says, you know what? You choose, it's up to you. This, this breaks the spell of this enchantment that was on her to keep her in this hag form. And the deeper meaning of this is that he has honored this feminine of sovereignty. Um, he's honored the feminine in her true goddess nature, whether she was ugly or not on the outside, right? She still gives him the answer to what he was seeking. I actually have uh, from this tarot deck that I have a little um, picture depiction of it of their wedding. <laughs> so in the in the that's Dame Ragnell and her ugly uh, form next to her and Sir Gawain and then in the pool you see their reflection. So it's just <clears throat> Again, sort of this principle of like divine love that comes with the goddess and the feminine and the, the sacred union. Um, so I thought that was a fun story that sort of highlighted all of that. My favorite legends are the grail legends. And there are so many codes uh, encompassed in them that um, the, the idea of the divine masculine and feminine is deeply rooted in there. Of course, the knights at the round table, are this divine masculine of honor and chivalry and going forth on a quest and um, strength, nobility. And then the feminine are these beautiful maidens that are the grail keepers and um, the queens and all, and, and they kind of are really magical. So this is all also in this sort of magical land. And the idea of the grail being tied to the feminine, I have another card that is the Maiden of Grails in the tarot, but she, on the Feast of Pentecost, brings the Grail to King Arthur's castle. And this Grail gives the knights all of the food and drink that they could ever want. They have this splendid, the most grand feast, like this just abundance and 
constant replenishing of, of anything they want. And, um, you know, when the feast is up, the grail goes away and, and, and sort of disappears. And that is actually what sparks their grail quest because they're like, what happened to it? And that was such a magical night, you know? So it is the woman tied with the grail, this cauldron and also sort of, you know, grail is sort of like a womb space that is the giver, the, cre the endless abundant creator um, of this, this magic, of this sort of this vessel that bridges the divine and the earthly. The grail is that which is attained and realized by people who have lived their own lives. It is the fulfillment of the highest spiritual potentialities of the human consciousness. And it's these maidens, now this is predating the um, Arthur, before Arthur even, you know, his castle and, and knights existed. Um, it is said that there, that the, the grail priestesses, excuse me, were the priestesses of these sacred springs and wells. And um, these are these moon priestesses and they're sort of linked to the realm of fairy. Um, and it said, it was said that they would serve any traveler that came their way from these sacred wells. And this is a passage from uh, the elucidation, which is that tale that predates uh, the Grail Quest tales. It's anonymous, but it was written in the 13th century. So it says, no one who wandered the byways, be it evening or morning, whether to drink or to eat, would need to change his route, save he who turned towards the wells. He could request nothing by way of fine food that pleased him that would not be given to him, provided he asked reasonably, then would arise, as I understand, a maiden out of the well. And these maidens don't, you know, discriminate. They offer refreshment to any traveler who comes by. He could not have asked for one more beautiful, carrying a golden cup in her hand with meats, pies, and bread, another maiden bringing in turn a white napkin and dish of gold and silver, in which was the meal that had been asked for by whoever had come for the meal. At the well, many were well received, and if the meal did not please him, many others were brought, all as desired. So uh, the author then says, this hospitality seems completely unconditional, suggestive of an ancient accord upheld by fairy and human races. These travelers on their quest meet with these goddesses because they're not quite human and are given whatever they desire. And again, the grail being this feminine force, it's linked to uh, these Celtic myths of the cauldron of regeneration, of immortality. Um, the water of the grail brings beauty and abundance to earth. It's that bridge between the earthly and the divine. And basically what happens is King Amangon and his army come through and he is an evil king. And he uh, decides that he wants this maiden, one of these beautiful maidens for himself. So he, you know, deflowers her, he steals her golden cup and takes her off into the woods. And all of his men see their king doing that. So they're like, oh, well, we're going to do this too. So the maidens are um, violated and decimated, basically. And uh, the, the wells all completely dry up and the rivers run dry and the grass, you know, goes dry and the leaves fall from the trees. And this leads to this wasteland, this, um, you know, symbolic um, uh, taking of the feminine in this really violent way. 
And so many, many years later, King Arthur and his knights uh, seek to restore these wells and they vow to find the maidens and protect them at all costs with all honor and get these uh, these the springs you know with water in them again and this is what um, leads to the grail quest and it's sort of this divine masculine that then goes to rescue the feminine so it is all completely interwoven but I think that that tale speaks deeply to the uh, the taking of the feminine out of the story, out of the myth of our lives, um, largely by the church. Again, as I had spoken about in the beginning, of course, when Christianity came around and was doing the Inquisition and just burning down towns and and um, anyone who wasn't in, in in accord with this new way, this uh, you know, the feminine went underground and. This is linked to the Cathars, which was a spiritual sect in the 12th to 14th century, mostly in southern France and northern Italy. But they were actually worshippers of Mary Magdalene. And it is said that she wrote a scripture called the Book of Love, which they, um, which they studied and, and revered and um, they were completely wiped out by the Inquisition. Unfortunately, they were burned, they were executed, and their castles were destroyed. Um, but right before the last Cather uh, was executed, he said, in 700 years, um, we will return when the laurel turns green again. And basically, this is when love returns. And the very interesting thing about this prophecy is that it was said in 1321. And guess what 700 years later is? 2021. So perhaps we are in this time of the return of this divine feminine because, it, you know, as much as the church needed this power grab to instill the patriarchy and put on top of the feminine the masculine, put the God on top of the feminine, rather where they used to be equals facing each other. We can restore this idea of the goddess and this worship to the divine feminine that is really such a deep key to, to, to all, you know, and it's the key to awakening the masculine. Um, again, when the hero meets with the goddess, he is brought into himself, into his higher being, into this spiritual rebirth to fulfill his own destiny in his quest. One last uh, thing I wanted to visit on this topic, and this topic is of course so vast I might do a part two, um, is uh, from Dante, who of course wrote the Divine Comedy, and uh, this is his work Vita Nuova, in which he recounts his meeting with Beatrice, who is his love, and um, Vita Nuova means new life. So this book talks about the new life that he has after he meets Beatrice. Again, this rebirth after meeting with the goddess, this birth into his spiritual self that he never would have had without meeting her. The name Beatrice means uh, she who brings happiness or blessed. And there are also so many codes in this little book. It's, um, it's 
really a remarkable piece of literature. But basically uh, he says, so this is the moment he meets her. At that moment, and what I say is true, the vital spirit, the one that dwells in the most secret chamber of the heart, began to tremble so violently that even the least pulses of my body were strangely affected. And trembling, it spoke these words, here is a God stronger than I, who shall come to rule over me. And of course, this is uh, love. <laughs> and he says, she did not seem to be the daughter of any ordinary man, but rather of a God. He says uh, that when he meets her, this blessed lady appeared to me dressed in pure white, standing between two ladies of high bearing, both older than herself. And um, so she's, she's, you know, another symbol, she's dressed in this pure white, this purity of light, of consciousness, of love that he encounters, that changes his life, that begins his new life. And it is by following her and um, her purity and her essence that he is lifted into a spiritual way of being and he becomes devoted to the God of love, which of course love is the pervading um, vibration of the universe that is the highest uh, spiritual attainment that we, that we have. So she, this meeting with her, with this goddess, lifts him um, out of the mortal realm and into uh, this, you know, heavenly spiritual attainment for his, the rest of his entire life. One last interesting thing about this work, and uh, he links Beatrice to the number nine, and he says that they are, um, that she and this number are actually synonymous. And he meets her first when he's nine, and then they meet again nine years later when he's 18. Um, but uh, basically, so that all may understand that she is a miracle whose root is in the miraculous trinity that um you know the base of her of nine the root of her is that holy trinity of three so there's again so many codes and contained um in this and so many so many symbols and metaphors that uh that it's not that she was just this human you know, um, gorgeous young woman that he becomes enamored with, but this vehicle to transformation that is encoded within the goddess. And she later in his divine comedy is his guide through Paradiso um, to the heavens. And uh, she has, she's in the heavens because she passed away, but she will forever be his guide to this heavenly spiritual attainment where he will meet her again once he uh, fully travels through, you know, um, the inferno, purgatory, and then paradise to meet this full spiritual um, understanding and is actually met with a white rose. Um, so it kind of comes full circle. I'm going to do a full video on the Divine Comedy and um, many of the codes contained in that because it is a lot and it's fascinating and Dante is just so brilliant. But So that is all I have for you on the feminine. Um, again, it's, it's such a vast subject and looking at it from this view of mythos and medieval legends and all of the really deeply sacred, uh, sacred parts of the principle that lead to that sacred union. And 
have that elevate you know the feminine to this really um this ideal that is the creation of all and when we meet with the goddess we are we are elevated and born into who we are meant to become so again whether you're a hero who uh, you know, meets with that divine feminine to become your best, most true, authentic, spiritual, highest self, or you are that heroine uh, journeying on and meets with herself, the goddess within, to find that spiritual fire that lives within you. I empower you to, uh, to do so and to really just find that deep gratitude for whatever feminine you have in your life, yourself, um, you know, the feminine again is that creative creativity, that receptivity, the ability to receive, uh, to be in the flow of life. So whether you are a man or a woman, um, we can all tap into that to really enhance our quests and our missions. And of course, connecting to nature, uh, putting your hands on the earth and feeling mother earth and that mother principle all around us at all times um, really uh, brings us back into a sense of balance and I think connects us deeply to the deepest mysteries of life and uh, of the cosmos. So if you found this video interesting, please don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, share with a friend, let me know what you think. I love to hear your thoughts. And of course, our last bit is we will draw a card for um, a deeper message for this transmission. <laughs> so let's see what the cards want to tell us today. One with the sun, be the light. When you can't find the sunshine, be the sunshine, message. You are at one with the light of the universe. Every cell of your body, your temple, is a miniature sun. You are the sunlight of the spirit. There is nothing you have ever done or will do that can diminish your light. Even though clouds of self-doubt may temporarily obscure your awareness, behind those clouds, your inner radiance still shines. Whether or not you realize it, you emit divine awareness. You are not moving toward the light on your hero's journey, beseeching it to have mercy on you. Your wake-up call is to realize that you can run, but you can't hide from your true nature. This is not grandiose. It is a humble truth that also applies to your brothers and sisters on this planet. Be still, knowing the ground you stand on is holy. The spotlight of divine love, intelligence, beauty, and creativity is on you. And of course, that sunlight is the goddess. <laughs> and never run from her, but receive her and all of the gifts and um, illumination that she has to give you on your path. So again, thank you so much, so much, so much for joining me today. And I will see you in the next episode. So much love.